0: I yada na 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 That na 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 if you recognize that return again, since we've entered the month of Elul, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, we think about returning, returning to who we are. One notion of teshuvah of repentance is becoming somebody new, right? In in this time, in this in this period of time where we reflect on who we are, we want to become a new person. But um, but really, teshuvah comes from return. The idea that actually to become our best selves, what we need to become is not a new person but return to our deepest goodness that's already there to return to who we already are authentically only ourselves. And so, um, I hope today we can continue to think about that on how we can relocate that deepest essence of ourselves, which is good, right? Judaism doesn't believe in original sin, like a lot of Christian, um, theology does, uh, that we are not fundamentally, uh, uh, sinful but rather that our our essence is fundamentally good and pure. And uh, we should return to that. That is actually a subject that's going to come up with Jean-Jacques Rousseau today. So let's start with a poll question, and then we'll launch in together. You're only getting two options today. What do most children need more to thrive? Isolation, to be in nature, at home, and in small, quiet settings, or through socialization, community, schools, and friendship? Of course... The answer to all is both. Yes, you need community, you need isolation. But if you had to pick one, what is gonna enable and forget just children, the truth is it's true for all of us. I mean, th- I mean, Rousseau is gonna talk about education, but do to to be our best selves, do we need more alone time or more socialization time? And I don't wanna get into introverts and extroverts and some need this and some need that. Yes, we're different, but fundamentally in human experience and human nature. Do we need more to be in the woods or do we need more to be in community? And let's see our results. Okay, 14% say we need more isolation, privacy, um, quiet spaces, and 86% say we need more socialization, community, schools, friendship, connection. Connection, okay. We'll see what Rousseau has to say about that shortly. Are public education and socialization making our children worse, he wants to ask, relevant to our question. Are our laws as beneficial as society tells us they are? While lots of philosophers have had few reservations about defending elements of the status quo, Jean-Jacques Rousseau was unafraid of questioning everything about the way society was run and the impact it had on people. Born in Geneva, Rousseau lost his mother when he was just a few days old, and his father subsequently fled their home, leaving him with his uncle, When he was young, Rousseau and his family had to flee Geneva due to a legal dispute. That set him on a course of instability and isolation for the rest of his life. Imagine that. Mother dies very young, father flees, you're raised by your uncle, and now you're on the run. He tried to become a composer, and shortly after entering the world of philosophy, his books were banned in Switzerland and France, and a warrant for his arrest was issued. Rousseau accepted an invitation from David Hume to live in England, but the two of them could not get along, and he returned to France, where he died at age 66. Today, that would be very young. Back then, not as much. Less than a year before the French Revolution. In his lifetime, Rousseau challenged the prevailing view of his day on human nature, while others believed humans were naturally malicious, or at least a blank slate. Rousseau argued that humans were fundamentally decent and that it was society that was corrupting them toward vices and sins, right? Think today about the conversation around, oi, we need to make sure our kids don't have Apple phones and they're not on TikTok and da-da-da-da-da. Society will corrupt them. What they need more is good old-fashioned playing in the backyard. Rousseau believed that in the natural state, one lives simply with a tendency toward the positive qualities of human character. Socialization, however, leads to moral degeneration. Why is this? Because society teaches us a pernicious form of self-love, what Rousseau called amour propre, that causes jealousy, pride, and unhealthy social dynamics. Right? Rousseau wants to say, what are we doing in social spaces? We're trying to impress people. We're trying to show them we're dressed well, we have good makeup, we have good haircuts, We look good, that um, we're better than others, right? Society is corrupting us fundamentally to try to get ahead, to try to be loved. Rather than view ourselves objectively, society teaches us to constantly search out the approval of others. We want recognition. In doing so, we compare ourselves to those around us and inevitably feel great resentment when we don't receive the recognition we feel we deserve. How come I'm not being honored? Why is that person being honored? To prove the corrupting influence of modern society, Rousseau looked at examples of indigenous populations who appeared to be living happier and healthier lives until of course, guns, alcohol and the like were introduced to their communities. Rousseau's famous book, Emile, on education would become one of the most influential books on education and parenting in history In it, he argues that children are inherently good with a natural capacity for compassion and empathy and their education should build on their innate goodness rather than seek to impose social norms on them. Education, he held, should be focused on the child, not on societal needs. Rather than be forced into becoming something she is not, the child is to be encouraged to have a sense of agency to explore the world and themselves within it. Rousseau advocated for children being given time to play, especially by spending time in nature and in the woods and near lakes. He wanted a holistic return to nature, which led him to advocate for breastfeeding. He he was a huge advocate um, at a time when it wasn't popular. Uh, there's obviously been an upswing back towards this. In addition to his fallout with Hume, he had a fallout with another reformer, Voltaire, because of his radical insistence on a state of nature being better than civilization. So, yes. So, so Rousseau here um, is pushing up against the establishment. The establishment at the time says kids are dumb and wicked and we need to mold them we need to mold them into societal norms. Um, Kids are selfish and narrow-minded and they need rigorous, strict rules in order to strike that sinful nature out of them. And he says, what do you mean? These kids are beautiful. And what they need is less these strict rules and social norms and more freedom to just be outside and experience themselves in the world. Um, Think about Montessori, by the way. This is a huge influence on this model of kids playing at school, the model of harnessing kids' talents rather than focusing on their weaknesses. And um, interesting enough, since my kids have gone back to school already, um, one of the biggest complaints they have is how as they get older, the the teachers get stricter. And things that they think are trivial, like, constantly being yelled at that their chair is not pushed in. According to some, that's good for kids. They need discipline, they need strictness, they need order. According to others, my gosh, like is the biggest priority for a six-year-old girl that her chair is always pushed in. So um, these, of course, educational debates continue. With his appreciation for the natural self and his valuing of the inner life, Rousseau can be seen as a founder of romanticism. By here, I don't mean Hallmark cards um, and wine over candlelight. According to Britannica, what we mean by romanticism is romanticism can be seen as a rejection of the precepts of order, calm, harmony, balance, idealization, and rationality that typified classicism in general and late 18th century neoclassicism in particular. Romanticism emphasized the individual, the subjective, the irrational, The imaginative, the personal, the spontaneous, the emotional, the visionary, and the transcendental. So the classics um, want this sense of clarity and of objective truth and that we all enter this social order, right? The romantics want to unleash the power of the subjective experience, right? We'll see that again much later in the... um, Uh, in the existentialists, but that's not that's going to be post-romantic era. But this is a a crucial stage that's happening in art and also in education. By rejecting the conventional wisdom regarding how society ought to run, Rousseau sought to bring out better qualities in human beings that were otherwise being suppressed. Politics was at the center of Rousseau's philosophy. He argued strongly against the inequalities created by a feudalist monarchy And his critique of the status quo made him a major influence on the French Revolution, which, as mentioned earlier, began shortly after his death. Revolutionaries took great inspiration from the following quote from Rousseau. It is manifestly against the law of nature that a child should command an aged man, that an imbecile should lead a sage, and that a handful of people should gorge themselves on superfluities while the hungry multitude lacks even necessities, right? To us, this feels like an obvious critique of monarchy today, but this was obviously very radical in his day. Rousseau was influenced by English uh, political thinkers, such as Hobbes and Locke. Similar to them, Rousseau wanted to bring humanity back to a hypothetical natural state, in contrast to what society looked like in his time. If you recall, two weeks ago, I was kind of giving a soft critique of that everything natural is good. Of course, there's a great counter-argument to what I was saying, but I was just challenging our assumption that the best thing is the natural thing. But here Rousseau is going the other way. Natural is the best thing. However, Rousseau differed from, from these two in some important ways. While Enlightenment thinkers believed it was possible to use reason to shape culture and better the world. Rousseau believed human potential was found in isolation and nature, rather than see humans as selfish, like Hobbes did, if you recall, and therefore requires civilization to tame our bad instincts, right? We need policing, we need strict education, we need social norms. Rousseau goes in the total opposite direction from Hobbes. He viewed human nature on its own as profound and beautiful, only to then be polluted by social engineering. In particular, Rousseau believed that modern arts and sciences disrupt our morals and decrease our happiness. For Rousseau, it was not just society that was the problem, but the culture's over-reliance on reason, an education based solely on reason, he believed, was bound to crowd out a person's other natural qualities. He believed that instead of educating our minds, we need to educate our senses. So too, he believed that religious engagement should be led by the heart, not the head. In his eyes, the role of religion was less about imparting correct beliefs and more about fostering bonds of love between citizens. Therefore, it plays an important role in nurturing and sustaining a political community. In fact, you might say, this is partially some of the truth of the difference between liberal and traditional religion orthodoxy as you may recall means one truth doxy is um about truth like think paradox um um orthodox and you know basically means one truth liberal religion think like reform judaism for example is less about imparting correct beliefs although there's certainly dogmas in Reform Judaism as well, um, and more about community, social bonds in many ways. Of course, Orthodoxy has social bonding as well and identity, but it's very much about maintaining dogmas. The more traditional religion wants to maintain the boundaries on truth in ways, well, of course, again, liberal religion does that as well. The dogmas of, of liberal progressive politics as they're embedded in liberal religion and Protestantism and Reform Judaism. So we see that in both. But here Rousseau wants to move religion from love of citizens away from kind of educating the mind around belief. Rousseau opens his important work, The Social Contract, with his impactful line, man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. Here's one who thinks he is the master of others, yet he is more enslaved than they are. Ah. So here he's not only saying that freedom is our natural state and we chain each other by moving away from that natural state of freedom, but also the notion that we may think the free one is the master and the slave is the enslaved. But actually, he says, in systems of oppression, no one is free. The master is even more enslaved than the than the enslaved themselves. Now that's a complicated idea, because, I mean, what are you talking about, Rousseau? One guy is actually chained, right, chained to labor and doesn't have freedom of movement and speech, and 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 the master does. But he on it and so I, I a little bit of a, of a unfair critique. On the other hand, um, he understands that on a psychological perspective, that the one who is uh, maintaining the system. Their grip is so strong on ensuring systems of oppression, on ensuring social order. They in some ways are are are, are, are the least free of all, um, given their how tight their grip is on holding the system together. Well, I think of the monarch locked within their in their palace. Yes, they've got great food and, and, and servants, this and that, but they're living in constant fear of being overthrown and of leaving the palace, whatever the case is. Think about I was thinking about that with Biden yesterday. I'm like, Biden landed in Hawaii. You're like, what a great job that is. No, he's in meetings all day around natural disasters. You know, um, so yeah, he's got this mobility that he can fly around the world, but actually he's at the whim of whatever's happening in the world, disasters and other problems at constantly being responding to those, right? The president is one of the least free people given kind of the, uh, the demands upon the role um, ultimately the inability to control his own schedule. While it's argued that structures such as the law make us better people, Rousseau believed the laws are ultimately driven by selfish motives, such as protecting property and imposing the will of the rich on the poor. With with how much social upheaval and unrest was occurring in mid-18th century France, Rousseau found himself at the epicenter of the era's class conflict. Siding against those in power, he rejected the notion of society being run by the church, by the monarchy, and by the aristocrats, when the power needed to belong to the citizens. In addition to giving a great deal of intellectual fuel to the French revolutionaries, he was later an influence on Karl Marx's ideas about the revolutionary overthrow of capitalism to create a more just and ideal society. In fact, Marx concludes the Communist Manifesto With a reference to Rousseau when he writes, the the proletarians have nothing to lose but their chain. They have a world to win. Working men of all countries unite. For those of us influenced by Jewish values, we can see many admirable ideas in Rousseau's work. However, we don't sign on wholeheartedly, of course. For one thing, Judaism generally rejects the idea that society only influences us for the worst. For example, Maimonides explains that those those we live beside impact us for better and for worse. Here's the Rambam. It is natural for a, a man's character and actions to be influenced by his friends and associates and for him to follow the, the local norms of behavior. Therefore, he should associate with the righteous and be constantly in the company of the wise so as to learn from their deeds. Conversely. He should keep away from the wicked who walk in darkness so as to not learn from their deeds. In fact, as a parent, what I want much more than, um, and this is so hard to control, much more than a great teacher for the for the kids, as important as that is, is great peers. Because we know um, that much more influential than a teacher is going to be their peer group. Um, especially for teenagers, you know, the kids who are going to you know, are gonna get involved in drugs and crime. And the kids who are gonna, you know, get involved in clubs and get involved in sports and get involved in charitable causes. Um, and that's really hard to control. Um, but Rambam is right. We are deeply influenced by the people around us. It becomes very, if you're in a social group where people feel you can kind of cheat the system a little bit, becomes easily easy to think that that's how society works. And if you have friends that are pushing you to be better Um, that has a huge influence as well, of course. It's also the case that Judaism does not conceive of education only as a form of socialization. While much of religious education, that's Dan Shapiro, by the way, the former ambassador, the guy wearing a kippah, he's not not a kippah wearer, but I guess since he's visiting this ultra-Orthodox school, he is. While much of religious education is intended to teach the the child how to be a Jew, the act of Torah study is meant to provide tools that will guide one toward living a better life. At the same time, though, we can embrace the idea that humans at the deepest level of the soul are inherently good, even if their actions don't always demonstrate this. We say in the traditional morning blessing, By God, the soul you placed within me is pure. You created it, you fashioned it, you breathed it into me, you safeguard it within me. In fact, friends, if we were all to say one prayer each day, a Jewish prayer, this would be my second recommendation. My first, of course, would be the Shema, to say the Shema twice a day, to fulfill that mitzvah every morning and every night, to uh, to remind ourselves of the power of love, as we say in Shema, in the via Hafta the, of the power of love and living with love. But my second recommendation would be this, that right when we open our eyes, we remind ourselves that we are fundamentally good and every breath we take is a gift, and that when we when we wake up each morning, we um, are aware that we have a vote of confidence has been put into us, that we have a role to play in the world. So too, we can recognize that traditional classroom education in an institutional setting is not the only way to acquire wisdom. Some of the greatest Torah scholars learned in the home, this picture here is of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, one of the most important rabbis of the 20th century, who only learned from his father. He didn't have a school education, a yeshiva education. He learned from his father and stayed home his whole childhood. We affirm the huge Jewish commitment to formal schooling, but we can also confirm Rousseau's position that other methods of education are valid pathways. This diversity can be seen in the vastly different approaches taken by by the Litvaks, the Lithuanian rationalists, who valued and continue to value book learning in the Beit Midrash above all else, versus the the Hasidim, who traditionally emphasized a more organic spiritual growth through prayer, preaching, and spiritual practice. We also find a more complex notion of Rousseau's idea that civilization can be damaging. On On the one hand, Jews see it as important to embrace civilization, because it's our chance to influence the world for better. However, through Shabbat, we also practice restraint of that impulse, returning to our natural state of being, much like Rousseau wanted. As Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel stated in his iconic work, The Sabbath, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, we try to dominate the self. As Jews, we don't isolate from society, but we don't want to become owned by it either. We engage deeply with society and government and workplace six days a week, but on Shabbat, we find our freedom, removing ourselves completely, uh, though temporarily. Rousseau's desire to return to humanity to its natural, Dare I say, godly state, is highly commendable. His disruptive and revolutionary tendencies were an example of, if not messianism, a desire to radically change the world for the better. Okay, friends, as usual, we can talk about Rousseau, but more more interesting would be to talk about some of the ideas that emerge here for us, um, and what you agree with or disagree with, and um, um and how you might. Think about their relevance for you today. So, um, how do we get back to uh, gallery mode? There we go. Oh, I just had to do that myself. Okay. All right. Who who would like to jump in first?
1: Hey, Gary. Hello, everybody. Missed you the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, well, I just just a personal story uh, uh, about uh, peer groups and 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 what have you. Uh, when my daughter, who's going to be 45 here shortly, our daughter, and my wife always tells me, she's half me, <laughs> that when we when she started junior high school, they had a big assembly uh, of all the parents for incoming seventh graders. And the uh, counselor asked a question, uh, which had never been asked before, is how many people here, uh, parents here, think that they uh, they have influence on their children? And of course, everybody you know raised their hands, and he just laughed, and he said, <laughs> "You must be kidding." By the time your daughter or your child is thirteen years old, you have like ten percent influence and ninety percent influence from their peers. Uh, and uh, uh, how true it is. Uh, uh, and and the other thing I really wanted to say is that uh, as a parent, we always felt that. Uh, uh, that Jewish camp. Well, I should back that up. As parents, we always felt that organizational uh, Jewish organizations were really important, in influencing our children, be it uh, United Synagogue or the Reform Movement, the more the merrier, uh, USY. Uh, and uh, and there's an interesting study that that shows that uh, Jewish camps uh, have more influence on on children than actually going to Israel. And uh, I, I, so, you know, I just feel that I, ha- I had to say that because both our children are very involved in the Jewish community uh, today. I have six Jewish grandchildren uh, and, uh, you know, we're all probably grandparents here if, <laughs> or, or thereabouts. Sorry, Schmooley, you will be someday. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to, to throw that in there that uh, uh, that. That's an important factor of of growing up, maybe not as strict as is just education and, and beating you know, people's knuckles with their hands, as my father used to tell me when he didn't know his uh, his Jewish upbringing when he went to a hater. But uh, that's about what I had to say.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Yeah, awesome stuff there. And, um, you know, some of us may believe we can actually trace our influence. We may have a coherent story of our lives of how. A parent influenced us or a teacher or a grandparent or the like. Um, and some of us may believe that those are just stories we tell. Actually, there's a deep subconscious realm that we don't even really know um those influences um and how we got to where we are and what got us there. And um, those stories might be myths uh for some of us, and those stories might be accurate. Um, and and it, I always find it fascinating. In fact, a bar mitzvah yesterday he asked me to look over his speech, his bar mitzvah speech, and I was pushing him to get a little bit more personal around influences, but he doesn't seem to even recognize that yet. There's kind of a sense of like him creating himself as opposed to like being in a social context um, that he'd be radically different He was, if he was raised in 17th century Thailand or 3rd century Babylonia or 21st century um, China, um, you know. And so so, yeah. So, and one thing that could be fun for us to do is before going to sleep tonight, you know, track just some thoughts you're having. Um, say, oh, here's four thoughts I'm thinking about tonight. And then say, where did that come from in my day? Am I influenced by the TV I'm watching? Am I influenced by the news? Am I influenced by a phone call I had? Am I influenced by my memory, my long term memory? Like, what is actually happening in my mind? And what is influencing my mind? And one form of freedom might be to gain an awareness of what's happening in our minds. And I, I hate to say control, control sounds a little bit too domineering, but some level of 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 uh, capacity to hold our minds in with more freedom, as opposed to just being our minds, a product of our social influence. Maybe you meditate, maybe you take walks, maybe you do something to empty your mind of social influence, but, um, Imagine if all we really are today is a product of the conversations we have and a product of the media going into our heads. That would be a sad thought. I think a big part of religious and or social practice is about emptying social influence from the mind and heart and cultivating the state of mind we want to have. Maybe you want to be more optimistic and all the news you're telling you watching tells you to be pessimistic. Maybe you are Um, looking to have more love in your life, and a lot of relationships in, in your space are more toxic ones, right? We want to think about, like, what is shaping us? And to Gary's point, yeah, peers are a big part of that, and sometimes a really positive part, and sometimes a really negative part. And to Gary's point as well around camps, yes, there are so many studies around how camp, in terms of Jewish identity, is one of the most influential experiences and part of that is to the credit of the camp, you know, the camp administration. And part of that is simply the fact that the more immersive, the more influential, the less immersive, the less influential. If you go to Sunday school for an hour, very low influence. If you go to day school eight hours a day, larger influence. If you go to Israel for 10 days, bigger. If you go for eight weeks to a summer camp, all the more so. The more we immerse ourselves, which is another point around, you um, Thinking around around our workplace, is our workplace a healthy culture that generally has a positive orientation, right? Is our workplace have a, have a negative culture? Because of course, the same thing's going to happen over there. So anyways, thank you, Gary, for thinking about influence. And I think Rousseau is pushing us to think about that, about how society is forming our inner lives and how we should be aware of that and uh, responsive to that. Hi, Toby. Hi,
2: everybody. I'm so glad to be back. Uh, but I, I had a thought. <laughs> Not sure where it came from, but um, I, and I don't know how many of y'all uh, have heard of Moosar or studied musar or anything, but what I just started about a year ago studying Moosar. And when you're talking about looking at your way of thinking about things and trying to influence the way you are thinking about things... Um, I found the practices, I mean, it's not just reading about, oh, isn't that nice to have a positive attitude, yada, yada, yada. That never really worked to me. I'm not a cheerleader type. That really never worked. But I find that the practices in Moosar where you have to actually go and do something every day and then journal about it has been incredibly helpful in examining how I'm thinking. And then in taking that and... Um, trying to balance the things. And what they say is there's no bad bad thoughts. You know, there's anger and and these bad things. It's not really bad. It's just that you want to moderate that somehow. And I, I don't know what everybody thinks about that, but I'd be curious to know.
0: Great, great, Toby. Thank you for going in that direction. You're right that there is the camp of Musar that wants to say you kind of have to repress these vices um you know and uh, and fight them and control them and dominate them but there is this other camp of musar that says no no don't label them as bad don't fight them just be able to hold them rather than be held by them be able to um have them be less you know domineering in our lives and create that shift and and mold those virtues you know i heard recently as well you want to know what a miracle is. A miracle is a shift in perception. Right? What do we normally think of miracles? Oh, like the opening of the red of the Red Sea. A miracle is like somebody's about to die and their life is saved, right? The notion of a miracle of being, I see the world one way, and oh my gosh, today I see the world a little differently. That's that's a miracle. Given how our minds are so conditioned to see in a in a routine in a routine way in a consistent way, to all of a sudden open a new neural pathway towards seeing slightly differently, that's miraculous, right? And we can experience that miracle every day. And and um, and, and so to hear that um, if we can break, break through on being able to see, uh, I, we've all had these moments, whether it's in therapy or it's in Musar or it's in some spiritual practice or in a conversation where we, we get an aha moment about how our mind works or where something came from in our childhood. We're like, Oh my gosh, that's, what's going on in me all this time. I, I have those all the time. And thanks to you all in this class, I have like 20 aha moments every time from something you all say. So, so thank you for that. Um, so yeah, thank you, Toby. And, um and I, and I love you bringing up Musar because the Musar approach is, Actually, a great balance in 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 um, isolation practices, in chavruta practices, meaning partners, and in small groups um, in a vod. And so there, you have the sense that to actually shape our virtues requires private work, partnered work, and group work. And that's a really cool thing to to think about about how we embrace both of those, um, or, or really all three of those paths that there's things we're willing to say with a trusted friend that we wouldn't say in a group. And there's things we're willing to kind of say alone that we wouldn't even say with a partner um, if we can go go that much deeper. Now, before we move on to Sarah here, I just want to note what Aglaia wrote in the chat and, and just appreciate both points. You know, one of the points that we keep coming up against is, do we allow for philosophers to be hypocrites or do we expect them to kind of um, be masters of what they teach, and I'm sure we have a range of reactions to that question. But um, as uh, one of the things Aglaia points out, it's well known that while Rousseau was famous for his theories of education and parenting, he was a horrible parent himself. You know, giving up a child, giving up his child to an orphanage, um, one where um, they were, you know, had you know a very, very low chance of, of, of success. And um, you know you can say, look, I mean he he wasn't raised by parents and he had a tough childhood, and so we're not blaming him. But it's just kind of an interesting thing that someone who you know is so interested in child development wasn't interested in his own child's development. For some people that might say, ah, so I'm not interested in his theories of child development. And others might say, my gosh, like being a human's really hard, and you know we can learn from people who also failed, and so we can see it both ways. And Aglaia's other point, which is really great, that we should always be sensitive i mean certainly for men but for all people around critiques around breastfeeding um because yes part of that those critiques are uh, class you know classes uh, uh, critiques that you know wealthy women have always had more access or generally had more access to breastfeeding than women in poverty have and um and as aglaia writes over there you know those who could also hire support um with wet nurses and the like and so um yeah, so you know, we should always think of those social critiques through the lens of so- socioeconomic empowerment as well.
3: Okay, hi, Sarah. Hello. So um, I was struck by a couple of things as you were speaking. One was that it feels really significant to me that we're looking at this in Elul and that uh, at least Rousseau was talking about this essential, what I think of as my essential being. And and this is the time when I'm trying to find my way through all of those other aspects of my life back to the essential being so that I can have this moment in Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur to really come back to me, come back to my place in this world, to the creative which is part of me and I am part of it. So that was something I was really enjoying. The other was to stand back. And I was thinking as you were speaking that it seems that every philosopher ends up in their own little rabbit hole and they are chained there. That Rousseau's reflections on the chains is like, no, he was chained by his own thinking. And never really was able to escape that. And for him to talk about the chains as being simply societal is absurd. Mm. But that's just my reflection.
0: Great, Sarah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for bringing up Elul. I hope um, for really for the next two months that we can continue to connect our weekly learning which is gonna be consistent now. And thankfully the holidays are not on, Tuesdays. And so we'll be able to maintain this class throughout the holidays for those who will be free. Um, and we can keep a focus on these holidays and on this exciting time of thinking about those issues. Um, and my gosh, if if we were going to synagogue for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for entertainment, I could understand why our synagogues are failing because it'd be boring, bored out of our minds. If we're going there, like for the choir, nothing against the choirs, but you can you can find better choirs on YouTube. If we're going there for the sermons, nothing against the sermons, but you can find much better sermons on live stream, right? If we're going there for the for the friends, nothing against the community, but you can find better friends by just going to get a beer or a coffee, you know, rather than you know, just sitting next to people you can't even talk to or somebody shushes you. So if we're going there for all that stuff, like you got some better places to go, you know. Um, but I think the greatest promise is to go with a real soul curriculum of a place of introspection where I can really think about my life on the deepest level and be doing that in a, in a collective space that it can kind of support that, that the melodies are almost a backdrop to going deeper. The songs are a space to hold that the people in the room are, are partners and, going in that space. It's really hard to find a lot of environments these days where we can promote that level of introspection. Um, So I hope, for, for those who do find it meaningful to go somewhere, that that space can help provide that. Um, and to your second point about being chained by his thinking, I think it's such a great point that so many philosophers of freedom think that they themselves are free while well, those around them are chained, think back to Plato and the like. Um, but it goes without saying that all of us are are chained um, in, in countless ways um we are you know in ways that might not even be necessarily oppressive but are just ways where we lack freedom um where we have we're just in so many ways and and so in any case that that the point is really great as well and perhaps the way we're most chained as some will say is to our own context we are all born in a certain culture and in a certain milieu and, um, and a certain you know, historical context. And it's very hard to transcend that. Um, now that's not necessarily a problem. I mean, you can't really do much about that. I mean, there's some things you can do about it, but um, yeah. And so we have to decide if freedom is a big factor in our lives or not. For some people say, look, freedom's not my animating virtue, right? I'm not, my goal is not to be more free. My goal is to be more virtuous or be more kind or, or be more you know, knowledgeable. That's great, too. If freedom is a real goal, we're going to have to think about that. If it's not, it doesn't have to be the highest goal. So anyway, Sarah, thank you for that. Thank you so much. OK, Aglea, over to you. Oh, and Sarah, um, uh, thank you for sharing um, about uh, your father's yard site and your mother's yard site. Oh, and Aglea, your father's yard site. Good. We can always do our learning in, in their memory. So uh, we're we're learning in honor of Aglea's father's yard site this month, uh, or which just passed a few days ago. And Sarah's uh, parents, your thing.
4: So I'm going to start this off with, sorry, I have to go to my Kindle. Okay. But um, discourse on inequality is actually what I liked most about Rousseau. Now take it though, like I have my own love-hate relationship with him too, in case that's not obvious. But anyway, okay. So the first man to erect a fence around a piece of land and declared his own founded civil society and doomed mankind to millennia of war and famine. Now, speaking of that though, that was something that was decided way before any of us even like were. A thought in our parents' minds because it was long before their parents were even a thought in anyone's minds and everything, Though, but there's nothing we can do about that. Someone did put a fence around a piece of land and say it was his, and People were naive enough to believe him. And so that kind of did start a precedent that's going to keep going if we want to talk about, it, especially when we get to Karl Marx. Now, to pull this out of a um, book on Musar that I have, okay? So, Rabbi Yosef Yozel Hurwitz of, and I'm butchering this name, I'm sorry, Novarodok alerts us to the way the Yetzer Hara. Works by exploiting what he calls a righteous opening. And then he goes on the example of Cain and Abel and about how Cain basically did want his offering, basically, to be accepted by God. And that's the righteous opening for his evil inclination to come in. So, really, though, I kind of look at, you know, this whole situation about, well, you know, naturally good versus naturally evil and everything like that. But we're really susceptible to thinking that we're doing something good when really we're doing something evil. Now we can go on, like, I, I'm not gonna I just had to get it off my chest about Rousseau, okay? I'm not gonna like, you know, like be saying, yep! <laughs> you know, that kind of thing with him. Then I want to smack him around a little bit. But anyway, though, but the thing is, is that i um, getting like this idea that just the paternalism that comes from him and is still like really warping people's minds today because paternalism. Um, well, the whole case with the blind side issue. Hello. So, you know, I kind of wonder um, a lot of the time I think we're fooling ourselves. Um, there are a lot of things we can't do anything about. And we do believe that they are righteous openings and it lets all of that stuff in and that like it says your yetzer hara issue is not going to let you go so you know was it actually something that we can do anything about someone did put a fence around the land and then that let in a lot of openings for that yetzer hara to come in so i don't know if you want to go into that so
0: yeah yeah thank you thank you yes this um this conversation around how the political and societal structures actually influence the inner world, like, like what, what Agla is pointing to around how boundaries, forget boundaries, uh, property, the notion of private property kind of created a new level of greed or selfishness or jealousy and a whole bunch of things, and how that's true as well today. And it ought to be one of the things that we think about with policy is – Not just is policy just, but what does policy create within the person themselves? I don't think the conservative argument is right that welfare um, creates entitlement and thus we shouldn't provide welfare. That said, we should think carefully about the notion about how handouts do create a notion of entitlement. And other things like that, where policies we create, even if we think they're more just, do change the inner state of the recipients of such a policy, just like laws around criminalization. We might get get certain results around people less likely to speed if we have policing around that, but a whole new set of inner world experiences are going to be created as well. And so how do we account for that? Now, here's a question I have for everyone. Aglaya brought up the Yitzhahara a few times, the inclination for selfishness, the inferna- the, the inclination toward doing wrong, which sits next to the or Tov, the inclination for doing good. And I want to get your sense of this. The Talmud says, the greater the person, the greater the Yitzhahara. The greater the person, the greater is that inclination towards evil. What do you think they mean by that? What is it about becoming a more virtuous person that means that one's negative inclination increases? What do you think the rabbi's meant by that?
4: Are you asking me?
0: You and everybody.
4: Okay. Well, I'll just think of it in terms of, um, well, one, um, the way that I read about it, the Hara is also like kind of, you know, it's your particular issue. So it's kind of tailored cut to you. So I kind of like think of it in terms of every time you actually like advance on your Gates or Tove journey though, or your Musar journey, you know, like all of that stuff, There are going to be more challenges that actually creep up. And mm-hmm. so, but also um, in thinking in terms of, well, if you've got like, say for instance, you've got my salary, which nobody in here would be impressed by, Oh, did I say that publicly? But, um, or somebody else. Um, we're not going to name any names like Elon Musk or, you know, like we're not going to say Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or anything like that. Well, their potential to do a lot of really shady stuff is pretty, that's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> okay,
0: great. So, so one read here can be Spider-Man's with great power comes great responsibility, right? The more power or wealth you have, the greater opportunity you have To have an impact, right? The other sense, going to your point about virtue, is that as we become better people, we start to see as well our impact more and more. If my goal is, hey, I'm going to be a nice guy today. I'm just going to open the door for someone today, right? Great. Like uh, I I did my job. I I held the door for someone. If my if I'm thinking each day, oh my gosh, how am I using my speech to build up rather than tear down? How am I being charitable today? How am I? You know, going out and, and supporting the vulnerable. How am I? How am I becoming more humble and becoming more generous? And how am I, you know, in, being introspective around my spiritual life? If, like, if I have all these things I'm working on, I now see how many forces I have within me to not achieve that. So my yitzhahara grows as I'm working on myself more because I see how many opportunities to fail I have each day. If I set a low bar, great, my yitzhahara is pretty low because. Nothing's really pushing back on my desire to do good. But once I set a high bar, I've got all, oh, I'm tired today. It's rainy today. Like, I don't, I deserve someone to help me. I don't need to help anybody. All these excuses pour in. And so, you know, the other way to say it is our awareness also. If I'm someone who's like, ah, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you, you know, then I say, ah, who cares what I say? But if someone's like, speech is so powerful, I'm so aware of speech, then I'm going to have all these opportunities where I'm going to be tested on how my speech is used that day. Right. And so that's another way to think of it. OK, back to you all. Back to you all. Whatever else you want to weigh in on. Alex, Ed, Eddie, Roberta, Arnie. Can I
1: just uh, chime in with, with what you said? I, I, I with the Itz and Itz Tov. I understand what the rabbi said. Uh, but, uh, and, and, but to pick up where I, and, and I can never pronounce your name. Anyway, you know I'm talking about it. <laughs> uh, uh, when you, when you, when you, as you, as you're, as you develop more or gain more uh, so-called Eitzahara, as you gain hara, uh which hopefully would give you more virtue, but there's the flip of that where people then become, well, I want to give up. I need more and more and more. And the Eitzahara is fed by not and, and we see that by like you said, uh, some of the names that were said, and there's lots of people out there that why should I be giving money? People don't want to work or I don't agree with this, this, that or or the other thing. So I, there there are, there is a flip side of, of that also. uh I mean we would hope that the H uh, tove would would or the would then point towards eight are but I I and maybe in our society today and maybe even in society, Long before us, uh, you know, you have to you have to have some I- internal uh, drive to to see what you're doing for the for the good of, of mankind rather than oneself.
0: Interesting stuff. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary, for jumping in there. Um, interesting stuff and something for us all to think about of how that how we're experiencing that ourselves.
5: Thank you, Rabbi. Yeah, I'm just still thinking about like influence and and looking at a lot of philosophers and influential people, like of leaders and looking at them holistically, like acknowledging the good and the bad of of like people that have made incredible changes in our community. Something that comes to mind is not only today's philosopher, but also a great leader like uh, Cesar Chavez uh, who for a lot of the community is known as a you know huge immigrant rights activist who um really brought in a lot of effort and work to progress farm workers of today at the same time being one of the most anti-immigrant um activists that was at his time who pushed the narrative of uh, using derogatory terms to a lot of the undocumented community of today that is used today still to look down upon people. So even when we're thinking about these philosophers, I think it's important for us to look at what is the great contributions to they bring and they make, um, specifically in today's, um, with with the children, but also acknowledging that, you know, they also have really bad um, sides of them. And I think that that actually helps us create an, a tangible influence on how we are influenced to use their thoughts.
0: Yeah, thanks, Eddie. Um, yeah, to think about whenever we are inspired by someone's ideas, who are they missing, or even pushing down? I mean, there were a lot of There were a lot of Black men advocating for the right to vote, but were opposed to women's right to vote. There were a lot of white women advocating for women's right to vote were opposed to people of color having the right to vote. And, you know, this goes on and on of, you know, sometimes pushing down one group while raising up one's own. Um, And, you know, and certainly thinkers as well, who kind of privileged one group over another. And we should always be, you know, questioning of that, um, of kind of, where that influence comes from. And sometimes they're responding to a certain era um, where one group is underprivileged, but that carries over into another time. You know, here's, and, you know, and one of the questions is how responsible are we for our ideas beyond our control of them? So 50 years later, our ideas in a new context will be understood so differently. And here's one example I love. Um, As you probably know by now, one of the Jewish thinkers I've been very inspired by from the early 20th century was Rav Cook. Uh, great inspiration for me, but also one of the founders of religious Zionism. And today, major segments of religious Zionism are extremists and ultra-nationalists. And one might say that he set the ideological stage for them. Now, this he did that before there was even a state, but is he accountable for kind of how his ideas are used, you know, 100 years later? you know, um, and, um, or are we really just speaking to our own time period? So yeah, thank you for that. All right, time for one more comment if if someone someone has one. Arnie, Roberta, Jeff. Okay, so to conclude here with Rousseau, I think we've given been given a lot of food for thought with what is human nature? How do we shape it? What do we do with all these societal and cultural influences? How do we balance isolation with culturation? How do we think about inequalities in our day and even transcend our day, if that was even possible, to think about the inequalities beyond the ones of our day? And how do we think about parenting and and childhood experience as it relates to how we think about human nature? And how is our sense of what schools, how schools should be constructed, related to how we think political structures ought to be created? Um, Are political structures there for stronger policing, just like we need stronger rules in schools? Or are we emphasizing more freedom, more freedom and mobility as it relates to societal structures, uh, private property regulation, and as it relates to child development? Big questions. And um, I hope we can all continue to think about that. And I hope you will consider the experiment tonight of thinking about the thoughts in your mind and where they're coming from and how we might you know, gain a little bit more freedom in what's going in and out of our minds and hearts each day. Have a wonderful day! Can't wait to see you next week. And just to give you a little um, a little heads up on what's coming next week, uh, we are moving to Kant. Oh my gosh! It's like you can't even do the it's, you can't even do anything without Kant. So you know I probably say that every time, but um, you know uh, you can't you can't do anything you can't do anything without Kant. So all right, have a great day. <laughs> see you next week.